0: The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Forums Podcast, presented by Phil Hinton.
1: Hello, and welcome to December's Home Cinema Podcast. Coming up, we look back at 2009. We discuss the latest developments with 3D, and we look forward to the big shows coming in January and February, CES and ISE. And joining me for this month's and uh, 2009's uh, final home cinema podcast is Graham Goodburn and Neil Davidson. Hi, guys.
2: Hi, Phil. Hi, Phil.
1: And uh, as it's the end of the year, we're all still here. It's been one of those years, guys, where... Um, you know, we've been d- deep recession. The business hasn't been going great the, in, across the entire industry. We have seen some pulling out and so on. So, just to wrap up on the year that we've had, how has it been for you guys?
2: Interesting. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's, it's it's been a different year uh, from other years. There have been different challenges that uh, I think every business uh, has had to face. But at the end of it, we're still here. We're still going. Um, everything's looking good so we can't complain uh, too much um, perhaps an interesting statistic that I can share as well I uh, I, I obviously keep a database um, of companies that are involved in the custom installation business in the UK um, there are over 300 entries in my, uh, my list uh, and I was cleaning that out at the start of the month um, and of that list over ten percent have gone out of business in the last twelve months. So anyone listening to this and in custom install and still in business, congratulations. <laughs> you did quite well.
1: So Grim, do you see these problems continuing into the new year? Is is January, February a quiet time for the industry like it is on the high street?
3: It's it's a difficult one to predict this year because um a lot of people have started um crawling out of the woodwork and putting their hands in their pockets, but they're um putting their hands in their pockets in a rather different way. They're actually asking lots of questions and actually, you know, doing a little bit more than yeah, or have that the wife won't notice and um you know, putting a lot more effort into thinking about whether they really need something or not. Um as for January and February, well, Traditionally, January is a bit quiet because everybody's got their credit card bill to pay for Christmas. But uh, there's still quite a, quite a bit of um, projects being specified f- for January and February. So there is work out there. Um, you just got to um, be on top of it all the time to make sure that you win the business and uh, can give the dealer and the customer exactly what they want. Because um, they're becoming quite discerning now and they're not a little fussy. So, uh, whereby, you know, you could just say, oh, we'll put this in, you know, it'll work and this, that and the other. You now, they're being very specific now and they want an awful lot for their money. Um, can't really blame them. But, uh, yeah, it's. Um, I wouldn't say um, it's all uh, sweetness and light for the new year. But uh, the first four months will certainly uh, see uh, a change, hopefully, and uh, everybody can then... Um, yeah, you know, think to themselves all right you know people are spending money again but uh until april I wouldn't really like to say which way it'll go for some companies on neil's list for instance
1: now neil uh you said the market's changed uh over the past year so how has how 2009 shaped up for the custom install industry i mean what what have been the highlights and what things have have gone the way that you didn't expect them to
2: well um as people know we operate uh, in a specific niche in the market which tends to be more high end products um, and what we saw in, in our area is that uh, the demand remained okay um, a lot of projects were either scaled back or delayed but the projects went ahead um, what we also saw was that um, for less expensive items uh, people were still willing to spend um the area that really suffered um, this year was in the middle of the market. So for people like you or I, um, going out and buying a TV, which was maybe something that we uh, wouldn't have thought twice about before, was you know a bit more of a question this year. Um, TV is probably not the best example because I think TV sales have gone up this year. Um, but other sort of AV products, hi-fi products, you know, good quality CD players, um, decent preamplifiers, and stuff like that that perhaps they're not necessarily high-end products, but are also not consumer items, was a very difficult arena um, to be looking to sell product in this year. Um, and on my list in particular, uh, I could see that companies who were doing a very nice bit of business in that area of the market, which previously was very strong, well, that was the business that just disappeared overnight. And it's very difficult to restructure a company in uh, get through difficult times when your business doesn't tail off, it just literally disappears overnight with what happened in the markets and so on. Um, what we see going ahead is that people seem to be generally a bit more confident about things now. Obviously, there's still some nerves out there. Uh, as we're speaking, um, we're just seeing the effects on the markets of uh, of Dubai world um, shaking a little bit. So it's, it's obvious that full confidence certainly hasn't returned. But um, there's enough confidence that I've seen in the marketplace and people talking about um, good projects again and interesting things happening, uh, customers who are looking uh, to, to get projects moving again, the building market uh, again is all picking up. So these are all very, very good signs for the custom installation industry.
1: And uh, guys, what's been the biggest thing in terms of specifications for, for these systems this year? What's the the one bit of kit or the one feature that every system has to have now uh, in 2009?
2: A lower price tag. Yep. <laughs> yeah. it's in, the all it's, yeah, in all seriousness. It's, serious it's the one unescapable feature of the quotation. <laughs> um, we're laughing. It's... Uh, it's difficult, Phil, to be honest with you, to put a finger on a must-have item for this year. I guess we saw a bit more Blu-ray um, and a bit more of high-def distribution around the home. But to be honest with you, people did not really feel that this was the year to be firing into, uh, you know, new products and really putting their their neck on the line with with new products. The the core things that have always kept us going are the things that kept everyone going this year as well. Good solid uh, audio and video distribution products and good quality home cinema products. Nothing particularly fancy or new, um, and a good spread of brands. So I don't think we can put our finger on the the one thing that set the world alight this year. It's just been steady steady progress.
1: One of the things on the forums, Graham, uh, that I do see picking up and more and more questions being asked is the whole anamorphic thing, which has come down from your end of the market into more mainstream now. Has that been a, a big issue for two thousand and nine? Is is that something that's pushed things forward?
3: A lot of people now know what it means. Um, that's probably thanks to you and Neil, myself, and various other people um, shouting it from the rooftops on the on the AV forums. But um, you know, a lot of people now understand what it is and what it can give them. Um, the traditional method of huge pieces of anamorphic glass and um, mechanical sleds and this, that and the other obviously took it out of the price range of quite a lot of people but Panasonic, bless them, when they introduced that projector with a sort of pseudo-intelligent lens system on it it sort of made people realise that they could have it and then quickly realised the downsides of you know, really, really cheap systems but you notice now that some of the better known projector manufacturers are incorporating intelligent lens systems that actually position in you know all four planes, so you know in focus and obviously zoom and um they work you know quite well i have to I have to say we had one event a couple of weeks ago, all right it wasn 't the cheapest projector on God's earth, but it did work very well and, um it's certainly um opened up the market for people that traditionally would have had to go down 10k sort of thing for anamorphic lenses and stuff and uh, it's brought it down to um the masses should we say um and screens obviously um people are getting the hang of the screens and if they want side masking that that business is slowly dawning on the uh the the consumer as well so um there's uh an interesting few months ahead. Um, most of the systems that I tend to get involved in spec have have an anamorphic system as standard. But uh, you know, I'm well aware that that's not quite reached the front room yet. But um, I've been measuring up recently just to see how big a screen I can get in.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what what we've seen as well, Phil, is that people know now a lot more what anamorphic is. So that's people in the industry and also uh, our listeners here at the AV forums. Uh, The awareness is much, much better, um, which is obviously a big improvement on last year. But probably the the truth of the matter is that we've moved from the stage of no one considers it to now people are starting to consider it and perhaps are uh, intrigued or nervous or anything like that about how to actually go ahead and do it. Um, So I think that perhaps uh, this year, we will see the next step uh, in the development where people actually get confident enough to take the plunge.
1: And it's interesting what you said, Graham, um, about the new projectors. Obviously, I've had, um, I think it's five of this year's new projectors through now, and all of them had features where you could leave the lens in place. Um, Now, that's something that we haven't seen in the past. Obviously, manufacturers are starting to think about maybe not everybody can afford a sled, to move in and out so they're now introducing these features how, how uh, viable do you see those features?
3: Yeah, um, well depending on how the aspect ratio is controlled um, within the projector or within the video processor separately um, a fixed lens installation is perfectly acceptable um, yeah, I've done two or three quite recently that have had that type of installation and to be honest with you the video processor was slightly less than the price of the electric sled So, you know, they actually saved themselves a few, Bob, as well. And because it's permanently installed, there's less chance of it going wrong and moving and all sorts of things. And as far as PQ is concerned, well, if it's set up properly, there's, you know, I wouldn't like to say there was much of a difference between the two systems.
2: Um, yeah, uh, yeah, And then also, Graham, to pick up from that as well, the fact that it's getting built into um, the projectors now as well, means that in a lot of instances you don't even need to have the video processor. So that does save a lot of cost. There is a lot of cost in the sleds. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. To save that money, there's no two ways around it. It's it's a lot of money saved usually. And of course, getting back to
3: the original um, statement at the opening of the podcast, the first thing people are looking for is a reduction in the bill. So if you can give them all that and still give them the anamorphic, um, you gain quite a strong foothold to win the project.
1: Yep. And of course, guys, we can't forget the forum members and a lot of the guys who like to do things on their own, the DIYers, and some of them really do do good jobs of of the installations that they put in for themselves. And I guess this type of functionality is uh, the type of thing to really get the enthusiast on board, Neil.
2: Well, we do think so, and that's. I I know that you've done some stuff uh, this year, Phil, where you were able to show that off um to some of the AV forums members um and let them see what what can be done uh, as we all know sitting around here your first install of an anamorphic lens is not the easiest but once you've done it once it's relatively straightforward um, it's, it's nothing to be particularly afraid of doing and i think that that's that's probably where people are coming from now um it's, it's starting to get into the realms where there are products available um, the, the need for sleds and stuff like that is less there is support, we've done some videos ourselves to show how anamorphic technology works, so yeah we we hope that it continues to develop and for those doubting
1: um, the actual immersive experience I mean I've just had a, a screen thanks to the help of Neil fitted into the review room and uh, <laughs> I've done nothing but the past week, but watch films on it it's, uh, it really is just that immersive uh, it, Experience, isn't
3: it, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, until you've seen it, and and then you know you think, "Oh, that's clever." And then you watch five minutes of a movie, and people are just sat there for the night. Then you know they they believe it is a truly immersive experience, and you, it has actually brought cinema to the home. And we are, we've been banging on about that for over a year now, but uh, I honestly believe it is the fact. And you ask anybody that sat there and watched it, and they go, "Yep, I get it." I I really do get this now. And, um, you know, it makes the dealer's job that much easier to sell it to them.
1: And, of course, uh, we saw Philips release quite an interesting concept of a TV this year um, with their 21.9. Now, unfortunately, it was a Philips panel that was in the TV, so picture quality. (laughs) Apologies
2: to people on the Philips thread.
1: Yeah, apologies. But the picture quality was... um, left a lot to be desired, let's say, and uh, there was room for improvement. But interesting that a company like Philips went down that route, guys.
3: Yeah, maybe they just went a little bit too early to steal a march on the on the, on the the market. And, you know, if the product had been, like I say, with the picture quality that could worry the the others, um, they would have had quite some product on their hands. But there was nothing wrong with the idea at all. It was just that, you know, well, it's the same for any manufacturer. They are limited by what they can actually use as a panel, so the end result is always going to be whatever that that panel can produce. But the idea was the idea was sound. It, was, um, it could have done with being bigger, but um, well, I mean, that's that's always the argument. You know, we said last month that 3D always looks better the bigger it gets. And that was that's simply a fact. You know, it, the bigger it is, the more immersive it becomes. And the same is said for uh, anamorphic projection. You know, um, anamorphic screens, yeah, it's a it's a good idea, but um, yeah, I'd much prefer to see it on a projector, to be honest.
2: Just to follow on with what Graham has said there, I'm not convinced that it was the wrong time to do the flat panel. I just think it was the wrong company, perhaps, that gave it a go. I mean, full marks to Philips for giving it a try, but I still don't think uh, Philips are quite the mainstream brand that they once were. Um, It'll be interesting to see if another brand, an LG or a Samsung, picks up the challenge that that Philips have thrown down, Um, because then you could start to see something really interesting happening out there in the flat panel arena. Um, Full marks to them for trying picture quality wasn't the very best as we've said and wasn't terrible either it was a cool concept and i I hope it doesn't put philips off from trying again i hope they had a very good response to it and i hope that we see some of the other companies uh maybe getting the braveness uh, that, that philips had to be uh to be able to try something like that themselves and then i think it can really open up the market
1: it's uh it's a bit of a shame that we don't have David here at this exact moment to talk about the blu ray spec, but obviously that is the concern with screens like this the flat panel screens with the projectors you have uh the anamorphic squeeze and the lens to horizontally bring it back correctly, but with a flat panel like this, it has to use video processing um because it's a nineteen twenty by eight hundred lines for two three five to one if I'm correct, is that right? so it has to do uh, the panel will have to do quite a bit of scaling of that image to fit the the 235 to 1 ratio or the 239 to 1 ratio so do we need to see a change in the Blu-ray specs Um, and is that likely to happen do you think
2: obviously I think we would agree that if they would put anamorphic encoding into the Blu-ray spec that would be the best case for everybody um but at the same time, you ask yourself, well, how do they set it up? Do they set it up for 1080p? Do they maybe look ahead? Do they set it up for 2K devices, 4K devices? You know, What about squeezing 3D in? Um, so I, I don't think that we will see a change to the spec anytime soon and that the status quo will be allowed to continue.
1: Well, I think from my point of view, guys, uh, the argument would be the are changing the spec for 3D as we speak Um, the results are due this month for the spec change to to bring 3D in so should they not be actually considering 235 at the same time?
3: It's a good question Phil Um, 3D spec and uh, anamorphic specs are um, slightly different in their uh, way that they'll be done so I can see 3D being relatively painless and straightforward but like Neil says how do they do the anamorphic spec? Um, and at the end of the day they're going to sit there and say well how many people can watch it on a TV and at the moment unless you've got Philips TV it's zero so uh, there's not really any impetus for them to actually do it now but writing it into the spec does it hurt no of course it doesn't
2: I also think Graham that you have to look at the cold hard reality of the performance improvement that we would get from them doing that. Now, we all spend an awful lot of time, probably more time than is healthy, sitting looking uh, at the picture on the screen and discussing it and deciding what's good and what's bad. Um, I have to say I already find myself at the point where with very good quality scaling, I don't get distracted by the fact that it's being scaled. It just simply doesn't enter my my psyche when I'm watching the image that's scaled, oh man I'm losing you know 33% of the resolution that I could have had there um, and if that's me as someone who's supposed to know about these things you know you think about most people just watching it and wanting to have a good picture is it really going to help them that much to have that change in the spec probably not to be honest with you so I guess they're just looking at it, well, if it's not going to make that big a difference, then why change it? And 3D yeah. clearly is a different thing, because it's it's just a complete sea change. You need to have new hardware and all that type of stuff to make it work. Yep, agree completely. Yep. Um, nobody actually does bad
3: scaling these days, or at least not that I've seen recently. So, um, you yeah, know, put a little bit of money into one of the two or three chipsets that... Um, have quite some reputation these days, stick it in the screen and um, sell a few. Um, It was interesting that there was a conversation with um, some other guys dotted around the industry and they all turned around together and said, wonder what would have happened if Pioneer had been brave enough to launch their anamorphic widescreen. Um, They certainly had one in the wings, as I'm sure do Samsung, LG and a whole heap of others. Just, you know... Mind you, that it's all a bit late for that, but uh, I can't help thinking what if because they would have had the picture quality, and um, you never know. It uh, might have actually sold a few screens and um, put off the stay of execution, but uh, you'd have to ask someone a pioneer how close they really were. But I have the I have the feeling that it it wasn't a million miles away.
1: Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, grim because uh, two years ago now at CES, I was lucky enough to see their uh, contrast uh, concept TV, which was basically an eighth generation panel which was being driven by different electronics and it produced infinite black levels. And we are talking about infinite black levels. You were sitting in a demo room and the demo sequence went through once on three screens and then on the second time, all of a sudden this fourth screen suddenly appeared hanging in midair. It really was that type of wow moment which we haven't seen since, to be honest, from from anybody, and sadly that's now not going to come into production, but is that the direction that maybe Panasonic can take things? There's now been confirmation from Pioneer that everything that they held has been sold over to Panasonic. It happened in May. It's now been uh, officially announced in Japan, so should wow, we cross the yeah.
3: fingers? A, and- a cynic could turn around and say Panasonic knew all along that they were going to clean up the best bits of those that have exited the industry, because they went ahead and built a brand new plasma plant. Um, And they obviously knew a thing or two. And uh, I I would almost guarantee that they have made the plant so the glass can be made in that particular format and not just 16 by 9 um, with very little waste, which is the whole point of... The actual uh, formats, you know, 16 by 9 came around purely in Sydney because that was the size of glass and it cut up and made you know very little wastage. And um, I, I'll, I'll guarantee that they've built the factory so they can do uh, 235. And, um, well, I can't see it being that long. It probably would have come out before Christmas if we hadn't have had a recession. But uh, anyway, see, August, September time, see what happens.
1: Okay, well, uh, we're just going to take a quick short break and we'll be back in a few seconds to discuss 3D.
0: The highest definition. I got you the big screen TV and THX quality sound that would make George Lucas cream in his pants. This is the AV Forums podcast.
1: So, we're back again, and I said we're going to talk about 3D, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Yes, we did discuss it last month. But as always, in the world of new technology, things are moving very quickly and there's been a few new announcements this month. And of course, CES starts in less than five weeks. So Neil, um, just to kick off the whole 3D thing, you mentioned last month you were going to be running a demonstration of projection uh, using 3D technology. How did that go and what were your thoughts afterwards?
2: Uh, the the demonstrations went extremely well for us, uh, Phil. Um, the The feedback from everyone that came along uh, was w- was pretty impressive. If I just read a quote that we actually have um, fr- from one of the people who came along, uh, the 2D content shown was flawless and quite breathtaking at times too. With the introduction of 3D content into our homes next year, the system could change the way we experience films forever. So I apologize if it's slightly, uh, slightly hyperbolic, but this was the response that we were getting from the custom installers He came along to see the demonstration. Uh, And I think that that is is very interesting for all of us. Um, I think that we all agreed that at this exact second, probably there's no point to go ahead and install a 3D system in the home. It's still a bit gimmicky, the content and stuff that we have available. But when live sports starts to come online, and when the the Hollywood movies start to become available on Blu-ray, You can guarantee that the custom install guys will be looking to install these systems. Um, And where the custom install guys go, well, 6 to 12 months later, everyone else is going to be going as well. So I think it bodes extremely well for the future of 3D. I think the other thing that was very interesting for Graham and for I is that having watched 30-odd demos of 3D over the course of a week, we found that we became, or certainly I did, I became much more used to wearing the glasses I didn't find it in any way uncomfortable um, I had no eye strain or anything like that uh, but those people who were just viewing for the very first time a few of them did complain that it wasn't so easy on their eyes um, and we actually got an explanation of why that can be um, and it was quite interesting, it's it's quite an unnatural process for the human eye to view 3D material um, so it seems that there's a little bit of training involved as well uh, just to get used to how 3D works, but otherwise very successful.
1: Well, it's interesting that you raised that point because James Cameron this week, uh, in an interview I saw him on, I think it was CBS, uh, it was one of these ones that was posted up to uh, the interweb, as they are, and what James Cameron was saying was that his goal has been over the last few years is to get people away from the point of, do I have to wear the glasses, to the point of saying, do I get to wear the glasses Um, And it's interesting that you say that, that after watching for an extended period, you got used to it.
2: Uh, Absolutely. There was no doubt about it. It's not so much wearing the glasses, because uh, people have seen photographs of me. I wear glasses the whole time. Um, So I'm I'm quite used to that experience. It's more the comfort level that you get. And after a while, you don't really think to yourself, oh, I'm watching 3D here, isn't that hilarious? It's just you get more used to the content and the way that it's presented to you, and you don't get that, that eye strain or anything. Um, it, it was very interesting to me to see that you can become so used to it like that.
1: And, Graham, it's, uh, it's been interesting. I don't know if you've seen the threads on AV forums, but um, Panasonic are doing their full HD 3D roadshow at the minute and going around all these uh, retail outlets, you know, the big shopping malls and that kind of thing, and showing people a 103-inch plasma with the same demo material that we saw earlier in the year and it's quite interesting the comments that are coming out seem to be mixed between people, some people thinking that the avatar which is very laid back 3D effect um, was disappointing but they really liked the Olympics footage where things were flying out the screen at them is there a danger that people are going to get the wrong idea or have preconceptions of what 3D should be and then be disappointed by what they actually get to see in the cinema or eventually in the home
3: i think what you've just said is entirely spot on for a short demo people expect to see things flying out of the screen and be immediately impressed and wowed but what um, i noticed at Neil's event was that um after watching it for nearly eight hours um the only clip that i wanted to come back on again was the actual live action um you know they had a safari uh, yeah, you know, on the on the uh, Serengeti or somewhere like that, and that was watchable time and time and time again, and it didn't have any of the shock and awe, you know, spears coming out at you and all sorts of things. And I I I, I personally think that James Cameron's film will be more enjoyable, um, especially over the length of time of a full movie. Demos are completely different, and um, you know, people can see this, that, and the other, but people that sat there and watched the, the Africa scene that was live action with lions and tigers and people driving jeeps across the plains they all turned around and said now I get the point of 3D that was pleasing
1: so guys uh, Sony are obviously saying that half of their TVs by 2013 are going to be 3D ready and uh, Sky have announced that 3D TV football the Premier League uh, should start in 2010 on their high definition system um, so, lots of things about polarised glasses and shutter glasses and so on. So, guys, are we heading for a format war?
2: Nope. <laughs> Absolutely no way at all. No way at all. It's, uh, it's something that we've been hearing for ages now, Phil, and I try and go out of my way to explain to people that they shouldn't be nervous about that. There are, at this minute in time, competing ways of doing 3D, Um, now the reason that there are competing ways of doing 3D is because each of these methods comes with its own advantages and disadvantages now what we have to remember is that the goal of any 3D system is to deliver a picture um, between the left eye and the right eye that is slightly different so that we can get the 3D effect Um, now the ideal way let's say of doing that is that you would have a 1920 by 1080p60 uh, full stream for the left eye and a 1920 by 1080p60 full stream for the right eye. Um, obviously, that simply consumes a lot of bandwidth and a lot of data. You would struggle to fit that onto a Blu ray, for example. Um, and for companies like Sky that are trying to keep their broadcast chain compatible with their 1920 by 1080i uh, skyboxes, then clearly that type of a system is not going to be an ideal option. Now, what we then do is we look at some of the other ways that you can create 3D. And what you'll start to hear is people talking about content made for polarizing or content made for shutter glasses. And again, that's not that's not strictly the right way of thinking about it. Um a polarizing system is a system that goes between the video content and the actual eyes of the viewer. And the polarizing system contains, on one half, uh, a polarizer. The polarizer is on the screen or in front of the projector. Um, and that's what helps to separate the content for the left eye and the right eye. On the other side, you have to have the, the polarizing glasses, and typically one is hol- horizontally polarised and one is vertically polarised, um, so that you only see the correct content uh, in each eye. Now that's the, the the physical aspect of it. Beneath that, there is different ways of creating the actual 3D uh, video stream itself and there are different ways of Uh, showing that 3D video stream on the screen before it gets affected by the polarizer or the shutter glasses. Now, a better way for people to consider this would be to think of it really, really just like um, standard def and HD. So we know that we have 576i standard def material and we have 1080i HD material and we have 1080p HD material and 1080p 24 and all of these other different things Um, but in the main it doesn't really matter because what happens is that our TV or projector is generally smart enough to be able to take that video stream do some video processing to it to get it up to the resolution and the frame rate that actually is going to get shown out in the real world And that is exactly the same as what's going to happen for 3D. Um, Everyone is going to have to buy a new TV if they want to watch 3D TV. That's a simple fact. And what that means is that if you choose to buy a TV that uses a polarizing system, it will be designed with video processing so that all of these different formats can be presented properly. Uh, At the same time, If you prefer to use a shutter glass system, um, and I personally, for example, much prefer shutter glass systems, uh, then the TV needs to do a different type of video processing before that content gets displayed on the screen. Now, of course, there is some technical difficulty for the manufacturer of the TV to do this, but for us as consumers, that's not what we should be getting concerned about. That's not a panic, that's not a worry, that's not a reason to... To, to stop or do anything. That's not a format war. It's just video processing.
1: So, Neil, having explained all of that, is, is there a likelihood that, that the consumer is going to be confused? I mean, obviously, we're confused already. Um, certainly, I've learned something this afternoon regarding the 3D uh, systems for TV. So, uh, we, see, we see the bad sales advice already on the high streets, and we see... Um, enthusiasts getting wound up the wrong way with things, is there a real likelihood that we're going to get a lot of misinformation and a lot of misunderstanding?
2: I think it's unfortunate that we're moving now into such a technical area uh, that it's simply inevitable that there is going to be real bad advice out there. Um, now, we ourselves have a lot of discussions about 3D um, to, to understand where the technology is coming from Um, and this has been an interesting topic for us to discuss because I can tell you that everybody that I speak to has those same confusions and concerns about choosing the wrong and let's say an inverted commas format for 3D and that is really something that's going to be a problem for 3D as it gets adopted Um, and if I was uh, someone who was looking to establish 3D broadcasting That's the first thing that I would be looking to reassure people about, that there is no format war. You simply choose the display and the technology that fits your budget. That's what it's going to come down to at the end of the day, what fits your wallet. And you sit back and you enjoy the quality of 3D that you can buy for your money. No need to panic about anything else. That's the only thing you need to decide. And that's no different than buying any other TV at this minute in time, But well, Unfortunately, as we know, this whole confusion about LED TVs, or <laughs> we even still hear the the classic plasma needs regassing. Uh, almost unbelievably, you still hear that. Um, I, I honestly don't know what more we can do to educate people, but we we just keep uh, pushing away and trying. Um, but that's what it's going to come down to now. It's it's pure education. So AV forums, uh, podcast listeners please go out and tell everyone, don't worry about a format war. It's not going to happen.
1: But I guess the the other thing that that kind of confuses people is when you hear companies like Panasonic saying that they are going to standardise 3D. Now, what they mean there is that they are trying to get a standard so everybody puts films onto Blu-ray the same way in terms of 3D. That's how I understand it. I I guess that's how you guys understand it as well.
0: Yep,
2: absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I... completely approve of that That, that's very important because the less variations, the less video processing headaches there are to take care of so it's just as simple as that if everyone does it the same way then that's great, it means that um, you can design a video processor that works either for shutter glasses or for polarising instead of the current method which will be well, we have to handle it quite a lot of different ways um, dependent on how it's stored on the disc, so absolutely standardise on the way that that video stream itself is stored on the disc. Um, but that again is an abstraction from the actual consumer themselves. Uh, no one I know, for example, plugs their Blu-ray player straight into their eyeballs uh, to watch <laughs> the. You know, but really that's what we're talking about to watch the the bits as they come flying off there. It has to go into a video processor to get converted into something meaningful for us. And the 3D is just exactly the same.
1: We've talked about the technical side of 3D. And just before we wrap up on this part of the podcast, I guess it all comes down to content, guys. And and we've already discussed the the Panasonic demonstrations going on in in the the shopping centers. And some of the demonstrations that we've seen from manufacturers and also demonstrations you guys have done yourselves... Um, content's going to be a major issue so do you think 2010 is the year that we're going to start to see uh, quality content or do you think there's there's still going to be quite a bit of this uh, in your face demonstration type material that we have to get past before we get to um, what 3ds may be capable of
3: i think you're going to get an awful lot of demonstration material to wow the people for the first 10 or so minutes and then hopefully we'll get the quality material that we've witnessed that you could watch for hours on end and it just looks really natural. Um, I prefer that. Um, gaming aside, which is a whole different subject in its own right, um, stuff you'd normally watch on TV needs to be natural, just more depth and you know, realism. Um, there's no need to throw buckets of water over the audience and stuff like that. There really isn't.
2: Yep, for me also, uh, it's unfortunate that probably most people, what they'll get to see, and well, I can hold my hands up, I'm guilty of this as well, is some real whiz, bang, globes coming out of the screen and you know fish swimming past your face and all this type of stuff. But as soon as people get to see um, the football, for example, 10 minutes watching the football in 3D, you'll go, yep, I get it. When can I have this in my house, please? Because it's just so, so obviously better than watching it in 2D. Um, And it's the same with documentaries, all that type of stuff. Uh, God help us, I'm sure even EastEnders will be better in 3D than 2D. Um, I doubt that. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really doubt that. (laughs) As soon as you start to see that real stuff that people are familiar with, that's the point I think I'm trying to make. Real stuff that people are familiar with, documentaries and sport in particular, then it's just an absolute no-brainer. It's so, so much better. Yeah, so you will get at the
3: beginning the shock and awe type um, programming, but hopefully everybody will soon become tired of that and just demand normal, natural stuff. And for that, it really does look very nice indeed.
1: Okay, so that wraps up our conversation on uh, 3D for this month. And uh, obviously, the the big stories there were Sony and Sky. So we're going to move on when we come back in a couple
0: of seconds. Contact the AV Forums Podcast. Email podcast at avforums.com. You're listening, you're listening, you're listening to the AV Forums Podcast.
1: It is the December podcast. It's the last one of the year. And we're looking forward to CES, which is in five weeks' time. And then we have ISE, which is Integrated Systems Europe, which is Europe's largest custom install show. Uh, Guys, um, both shows, big for the year, for the new year. We get to see the new products. Um, What are you guys hoping to see?
3: Uh, A ticket so I can go to CES. But um, I'll settle for ISE. Um, Like you say, it is... Uh, the, the big show for the whole of Europe is absolutely enormous. You can't imagine how big it is until you've been there. Um, and hopefully i have all sorts of uh, new and exciting stuff that's uh, just about ready to buy or already on sale by February.
1: So what do you think are, are going to be the big products next year? and, and uh, The technologies that's being pushed, I guess 3D is going to be the big thing. I mean, I'm expecting to walk into CES and see nothing but 3D, but... Where do you think other big products and technologies might come that that are going to be pushed for the next year and and be beneficial?
3: I see LED projectors as um, quite some thing to be interested in. Um, It does away with everything everybody's moaned about, about projectors over the years, and um, they're not outrageously expensive, and they do give, or can, give very good results indeed. And um, I'm quite looking forward to... And scrounging one to put on my ceiling for the foreseeable future. Yeah, nice and quiet. Uh, bright enough for a living room. And great colour. And uh, none, of, none of the drawbacks of uh, other systems. So uh, that's what I'll be interested in.
1: Of course, uh, I've only seen one, but it was Vivitec's version, and uh, we've just had an announcement yesterday that Sim2 are launching their version, and I'm sure... Uh, uh, there'll be lots more falling in the coming year. I think Runco are also releasing one in time for CES. Neil, do you think LED really is the, the way to go with projectors? Of course, it's completely different to the way LEDs used in TVs.
2: Well, we've also been uh, showing our model from digital projection as well. So everyone basically sees the benefit um, of LED projection. The the downside of it just now still is the light output, fill, as you've experienced. Um, if you're in a dark room or you've got a smaller screen, it's difficult to think of a much more promising technology than LED projection. Um, there are some, uh, some cool things happening <laughs> that should allow us to get a bit more light out of these projectors as well. And once they start to get a bit more light, um, the technology matures just a little bit more and the prices come down. It's got to be one of the most promising possible areas in, in projection. Um, to see the LED stuff And I'm very excited about it I'm sure we'll continue to see Incremental improvements over the next 12 months And I'm sure at CES And at ISE we'll not be able to move For LED projectors everywhere
1: no, well.
3: Same's probably said of um, LED backlit LCD um, Flat panels Um, when I'm referring to LED backlit I mean proper LED backlit not these side lighting effects that uh, you get in the super slims and uh, I noticed that Sony uh, are going to react to that by fast tracking their OLED screens not quite sure what size they'll be making them in and if anybody can buy one but uh, it'd be nice to see them side by side and see which one is actually best in the 42 to 50 inch arena. Absolutely.
1: I think my money would be on OLED. Not well
3: that's where i'd put my money if sony can actually do it for anything less than under a thousand quid
1: yeah that's, that's that's the big point as well but um interesting new technology there new with led projectors and um some of the the press release stuff that came with the one that i reviewed said twenty thousand hours lifespan um of the light output now has anybody actually run these for any length of time do we know that that's accurate and there's not like a half brightness that you reach after a few thousand hours
2: well I was going to say that, that there are types of testing that you can do you call it accelerated life testing Phil, um, that allow you to simulate conditions uh, and prove that the the LEDs are going to last for that long and we know historically that LEDs are unbelievably reliable and the, the physical properties don't result in any dimming or anything like that, so I think people can be very secure in uh, the knowledge that an LED projector is going to last for a, a very long time and isn't going to dim over its its light output from new, um, I think one of the very important things as well is to look at some of the data. Um, if you actually look at the data, I, I just said it myself. In fact, that these projectors can be a bit dim, but if you're getting six between six and eight hundred real lumens out of the projector, that's for the lifetime of the projector. Now, we all know that a lamp-based projector dims quite dramatically over the lifetime of the lamp. Um, and indeed, most of the current well, the current reference models of projection that start off around 1,000 lumens, uh, which is where most of uh, the current references, Phil, that you've got end up at once they've been calibrated, after 200, 300 hours, 600 lumens is where they're at as well. So perhaps it'll be a little unfair on the LED technology uh, when we say that. Um, and certainly it does have all those other benefits of the, the long lifetime and so on.
1: And of course the, the big benefit with, with LED projection, and people can see this from the review we've done, if they go and have a look at the spectral scan um, of the light source, is the actual colour purity that's available from the LEDs compared to, say, a UHP lamp that always suffers with the red spectrum.
2: Absolutely, and that's why I say it's one of the, the most interesting ways. I think there's lots of incremental benefits to come so far. Um, probably I think we'd all agree that the the first generation LED projectors, although very impressive, um, they don't quite compete with the, the very, very best of the traditional lamp-based projectors. They give it another generation or two and... I think it'll be a different story because everything about the technology just makes sense to me, um, and there are some clever people working on improving that.
1: And of course, we shouldn't get this confused with LED LCD TVs. Uh, <laughs> completely different technologies being used, although they use the LED moniker.
0: Well, absolutely. What can you say? Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, there's been quite a few. Um, uh, manufacturers having to rewrite their adverts and um, we get it we get it all the time people ring up and said i've just bought an led tv no sir you have an lcd tv with backlighting and if it's a super slim it's not even backlighting it's edge lighting which um, apart from if you really need the super slim i don't think that's going to any friends on picture quality but um, proper led backlighting does look nice on an LCD screen. Um but yeah, a plasma boy at heart and a plasma boy will probably stay until something looks better, which probably means OLED.
1: Now here's an interesting thing guys. Um we've heard it for years now that plasma's dead and plasma's going to be the technology that disappears, but is it in fact going to be the traditional LCD TV that dies before plasma ever does?
3: it's a very good question Phil and I for one have said before that I can see that as a possibility um, plasma will remain and OLED will take over from LCD um, the reason why things have slowed and stalled is because of the worldwide recession um, if we hadn't have had that we might have the answer by now but um, you know um, well we shall see but uh, if I had, if I was a betting man which I'm not I'll see plasma going on for another three to five years, and OLED finally catching up, and then, well, the consumer will buy, whichever one wins.
1: And uh, Neil, it could be said that CCFL is uh, on its last legs for 2010. Do you see everybody moving over to this LED backlighting?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, There's quite a lot of incentives for the manufacturers as well to move over. Uh, with the uh, the new energy ratings in California and all that type of stuff, um, probably see CFL hanging around in <laughs> supermarket special models for a while yet. But as a as a technology, it's kind of been there, done that, and everyone's moving on to better things now. Hopefully. And uh, talking about
1: light sources, something that we've had for the last couple of years was always laser, uh, and using laser lights, especially for for projection. It, it, has that turned out to be a red herring? Do you think?
3: Mm, yeah, <laughs> in a word. Yeah, I must admit, I've not really um, bothered to read too much into it because uh, I couldn't really see it um, becoming mainstream. I agree with Neil. So uh, maybe not so much of a red herring, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, I can't see it happening anytime soon at the price level that we want.
1: And I guess, um, just to wrap up on our look forward to 2010, OLED, um, it was quite depressing this year at EFA that only one manufacturer were, were showing their version of the technology. And uh, it, is it a case of that was just a recession? Did that did Do you think we're going to see a big push at CES and IEC for the new OLED or OLED screens?
3: I think it might be a bit early. Um, CES, I mean, alright, so CES is an absolutely enormous show, so I'm sure there'd be OLED screens there. Um, ISE, um, we might see something else which is more affordable for the European market. But uh, you know, like I said, I want to see a 50 inch OLED screen at around three or four grand, and uh, then everybody will sit up and pay attention.
2: Yep. Um, I have to say, I probably agree with you, Graham, that it's just its too early still. Uh, if it was going to happen so quickly, we would have seen all the rumours about it and everything. Um, if if someone can conjure up a reasonable money, and I think for reasonable money we would say below 20 grand at this minute in time, mm. 42 or 50 inch LED TV would be hearing stuff about it, and we just don't, which is just going to prove the difficulties of that technology. Um, and also it's interesting... We've just been talking about LED projection there. What is it that we're talking about lifetimes for the blue LED and a no LED display? 10,000 hours, something like that? It's, it's a lot of money to spend on something that's going to run out after that amount of time.
3: Ah, you just take it down to your local BOC garage and get it regassed, mate, like you do <laughs> your plasmas. <laughs> and before anybody asks, I am joking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Okay, so uh, let's wrap up on our look forward to uh, 2010. The big show's coming up next month. Um, We're talking about display technologies. It seems to be that that this is the area of the market where things seem to be moving the fastest. Guys, what's happened with the sound side of things? Have we reached the the point now that because we've got Dolby True HD and DTS Master Audio that there isn't much further to go with the the sound side of things?
3: Well, I think it's... Sensory overload eventually, isn't it? I mean, uh, you yeah, know, everybody's bombarded with Dolby and DTS and then they go Dolby HD and DTS master. Um, what other technology do you want? How much better will it sound in the average home or even, um, you know, mid, mid priced, uh, home cinemas. Um, you can make ordinary DTS and Dolby sound pretty damn good as you both know. um, True HD and DTS Master, well, it depends how they're mixed. Whether they're better or the same, or minimal differences. Um, you know, where do they go? They have to. Dolby and DTS will have to generate excitement about something, but I'm not quite sure what it will be. And if it involves more speakers, we're back to the conversation we had last month: uh, who the hell is going to buy it? You know, high-end cinemas and home cinemas, yes, yeah, certainly. Um, anything else? Almost no. Not, you know, certainly not
2: yeah I mean Graham's hit the nail on the head there exactly for me um, to, to be frank most speakers that are out there so speakers specifically um, are already struggling with the resolution uh, that can be had off normal DVDs um, if you hear a, a well designed high end sound system um, there's still so much to be offered by the so called legacy formats Um, if you hear a well-designed sound system with the new HD material, well, okay, it sounds even better. Um, There's a clarity and stuff like that. But then you start to look at the the whole talk of well, let's add another four present speakers and all this type of stuff. And to be honest with you, one of the the single worst demos that I've sat through was the Odyssey demo at uh, the US this year was appalling. It was absolutely dire. Um, demo of uh the new Odyssey, uh, presence channels and all that type of stuff. I, I simply couldn't understand why they were even showing it, to be honest with you. Um, and if people just think that strapping another couple of speakers above their TV is state of the art, high end sound, then God help us all. I would much, much rather see, um, greater awareness of room issues and stuff like that, which in fairness I think we are starting to see now, there's a lot more discussion about it on the forum, because most people's systems, frankly, are operating at 30%, 40% of what they could be uh, for the sake of a bit of calibration and a little bit of very discreet acoustical treatment um, and I think that that is the biggest challenge in fact, for the big audio companies as well, Um For me this year, uh, looking ahead, there's not one thing that I'm looking forward to seeing in a new receiver, for example, that I can't already go out and buy right now. There's no single feature that I simply wished existed that I couldn't go out and buy right now. Um, So it's, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky to see anything super exciting in that area. There are new developments in speaker technology that I think are quite interesting, but well, unfortunately, those developments cost a lot of money, um, and you're not going to see those developments hitting the you know the the, the general market anytime soon. Um, they're going to remain the preserve of super high end speakers. But at least it's it's new stuff, it's cool stuff, it's different, um, and I'm pretty excited about that. That at least there is some change in in speaker technology that's something to get excited about
3: i noticed also with speaker technology that um we're finally beginning to see a really high quality in-wall solution that sounds as good as your traditional you know 18 inch deep speaker box floor standing speaker and um you know there could be quite some business there because the wife wants the floor space back and the bloke wants all the latest toys and he wants it to sound as good or better than what he had. And um, that's got some quite interesting technology. Like Neil said, it's not exactly at the bottom end of the market, but uh, it's not outrageously expensive either. So, um, yeah, we can see what happens
2: there. It's one of the things I'm sure if Graham or I was to make it over to see, the the place that we would look for would be the high-end show or this show as uh, you you will see written down um but having experienced like the Munich show and stuff like that i come away from those type of shows just shaking my head it's just the same it's the same stuff that's been shown for 50 years the same big box speakers the same funny horns um oh wow valves are making a comeback vinyls making a comeback it's like come on guys Come on, there must be something more to it than this. Um, I can tell you that right now, in stereo, the biggest thing that's happening in stereo is vinyl. Can you believe that? Vinyl is the biggest thing in stereo. Sales of vinyl last year leapt massively. It's, it's just unbelievable that that's happening. Um, I, I, I don't understand it, to be honest with you that we all suddenly get old and put on our cardigans and sit back with our pipes and decide that the march of technology was not for us (laughs) Uh, who knows knows? maybe I'm on my own there I apologise if you're a vinyl lover
1: Yeah, send your hate mail to Neil. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, let's wrap it up there, guys. It's been a bumper edition for the December podcast because uh, January is a sellout for us. Um, Obviously, we've got CES coming up. So look on the forums for all our CES coverage. There'll be uh, two or three or even five or six videos a day posted to the forums. So make sure you keep up to the latest news from the show floor with our coverage. Uh, then we have ISE at the end of January, beginning of February. Um, uh, quite a, a, a interesting course happening there, Neil, that we can't say much about at the moment, but people should uh, pay attention.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're, we're very excited. Um One of the courses has been run before, uh, but two of the courses are first time ever in Europe. Uh, So we are very excited about that. Um, I'm sure there will be some news uh, going up on AV forums very shortly to let people know about those courses. Uh, We hope that um, a number of uh, installers will be able to join us over there. And if you're an enthusiast, then why don't you come over as well? well? Amsterdam's not so far away.
1: Excellent. You can't beat a weekend out in Amsterdam. And uh, and finally, obviously, we have our next calibration workshops, uh, which we'll be kicking off next year, Neil. Um, we're busy planning them at the moment. Excited?
2: Yep, we're looking forward to it. Last one was good. Uh, next one will be better. We've got some new stuff. So, uh, yeah, we hope that, that people will go for that.
1: Okay, so I guess all we can do at this stage of the podcast is... Um, Well, from myself, I wish you all a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Have a good uh, Christmas and New Year, guys.
3: Thank you very much, Phil. Same to you and everybody that's listening.
2: Yep, indeed, Phil. Thanks a lot. Um, It's been a good year. We look forward to next year. Um, And I hope everyone who's listening has a a good Christmas, a good New Year, Um, and tunes in next time we have one of these podcasts.
1: So all I have to do is thank the guys. Thank you very much. We will be back in February with our next Home Cinema podcast. And uh, don't forget to keep up to date with all the latest breaking news from CES in January. So until then, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is Phil in saying thanks for listening.
0: The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.